0: This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host Jeremy Schwartz, alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel. We tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, SiriusXM Channel 132. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, global head of research at WisdomTree. My co-host is Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and The Future for Investors. Please note, I'm a registered representative for Side Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a supervisor of WisdomTree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer or sale of an investment products. And the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Church, Church. We have a very special show with you today. The professor and I will be talking with Peter Malouk from Creative Planning for the hour. Peter is the founder and CEO of Creative Planning, uh, a, a firm that does wealth management work for high net worth clients. Uh, and as of June thirtieth, ninety billion dollars in clients uh, across all fifty states. So looking forward to talking to Peter. Uh, but before we get to that, Professor, you've been talking about some volatility for the markets. It looks like we have some today here.
1: Yeah, we do. God, there's lots of there's lots to talk about. Um, let, let's let's talk about uh, the CPI, which came in um, as we know for the first time in, in many, many months below expectations. Uh, uh, as, as i voiced on the networks, uh, I think it greatly is underestimating uh, the inflation. Again, they are showing virtually no inflation in the housing and in the rental sectors. Um, it's it's, it's, it's uh, because of the way they sample so infrequently uh, they're not picking up what uh, what the more um, active data is showing, and that that's that's going to feed in strongly over the next twelve months. Um, they're also not picking up uh, you know shortages. Uh, you know you can't you can't record an inflation if something isn't sold, but something that's not available uh, in in some sense has a higher price and and will come on the market in a higher price. Uh, That suppressed inflation in in many ways. So uh, I think that that is about to uh, burst on the scene uh, later this year. And then thirdly, um, oil's down today as well as natural gas, but we all know what's been happening. Uh, Natural gas, uh, you know, reaching um, almost $6 per megatherm, um, and this is uh, three times the amount it was just uh, six months ago, Uh, the the major source of heating uh, for um, uh, households and businesses as as they switched from oil and natural gas became cheaper. Um, uh, uh, So this is going to be a a below and an inflation um, target um, that we're going to see filter in in the coming months. Uh, So, uh, you know, inflation, I think, is still here. And I think that uh, You know, uh, one should not one one should not relax. Um, The retail sale. Let's take a look at the uh, what we had yesterday with the retail sales. Uh, Many of the commentators, uh, you know, pointed out, "Oh, look at retail sales uh, jump quite strongly, um, reversing their losses uh, in uh, July." one should point one should point out a couple of things and by the way the losses were actually made a little deeper but still it was a a strong showing but uh one i, I didn't hear one commentator point out that retail sales are a nominal figure uh, uh the the uh, stat uh, the uh, bls does not have the data to separate them uh, between inflation and goods sold. That takes a long time. So what they do is, you know, they ask, uh, you know, Macy's and, and and Walmart, well, how much did you sell? <laughs> now, so part of the increase is inflation. Part of it is real. Um, and uh, you don't know that until later until you get that inflation. So it's, it's, uh, it's a, a little bit of a confusing indicator, especially given how uncertain inflation is. I wouldn't necessarily say that you know, this is a, a really a strong uh, bounce back. Um, uh, we should point out, of course, that we do have the Fed uh, next m- week. Um, and uh, the expectation is early and it's one of the quarterly meetings, which means we're going to get a uh, survey of economic projections. We're going to get a new dot plot. I uh, fully expect that the dots are going to be brought forward that many people are going to say we are going to start tightening in, in terms of rates um, late next year rather than waiting to 2023. Uh, I actually think it's going to be earlier than that as they see the inflation uh, ramp up, but nonetheless, you will see that. Now, uh, Notwithstanding what they, the, the dot plot is, um, it is expected that uh, they will tee up the taper which is now expected to be announced, um, uh, if not uh, next week, then in the November uh, uh, meeting. And uh, it's supposed to be a slow taper. As you know, there's $120 billion, of which $80 billion are uh, treasuries, and $40 billion are market-backed securities. And the expectation is, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a taper of, uh, you know, 5 to $10 billion per month. And... To end sometime late spring or early summer. Um, uh, uh, it, of course, it depends on the on the course of the virus and the economy. This is the, it's not not in stone. Uh, as uh, Powell will be very clear uh, to mention. Uh, um, uh, let me also mention uh, that it is possible to raise rates even while you're tapering without. Uh, uh, under the, a new system of how rates are determined. Um, although the full expectations of the market are uh, that it will not begin and may not begin for months until after the tapering is over. Um, so certainly the dot plot would indicate that as a, as a mean expectation. But if inflation flares up and they feel they have to move against it, they can do it and still keep the taper. They don't have to accelerate uh, the taper.
0: Well, let me bring Peter into this conversation. We're going to have you for the hour. I come back to you throughout the show on, on other markets questions. Peter, as as you're talking about uh, with your clients, and again, we're talking with Peter Malouk, the CEO of, of Creative Planning. You know, the Press Eagle has talked a lot about inflation. Is that something on your mind, on your clients' minds? How, how are you thinking about these inflationary pressures, and, and what are you doing about it? I mean, it's,
2: it's on everybody's mind, and I, I think we've. I've written a letter about it recently, done several podcasts on it recently, I talk to clients every day about it, we had our annual meeting on Saturday it was the top topic, it's on everybody's mind. I'm glad you started the show with it and it's interesting to see the passion with which people take different points of view on this. You know there's a contingent of like oh there's no inflation and everyone that's talking about high inflation is, you know, crazy. And then there's a bunch of people talking about hey this is hyperinflation, you can't throw all this money in the system and not wind up here and I think there are so many different things happening now. It's fascinating. I mean, you just can't apply normal rules. So, I mean, we have a couple of things you can all agree on, right? So part of this is transitory, right? Part of this is there's containers in China that aren't in the United States, and there's more demand as people come out of the cocooning than there is supply, and it takes a while to ramp up supply. And there's disagreement on you know how much of that, how much of that there is, but we all agree there's some transitory component to this. So then the real debate is, well, what's what's the permanent outcome? In a normal world, if you had big businesses get bailed out and private businesses get bailed out with these PPP loans and everyone else gets stimulus checks, you put all this money in the system, you would normally expect very high inflation. You'd expect it to persist for a very long period of time. But in the background, we have this overarching period in history that we're living in that no one's lived in before that's new. And then it's kind of scrambling the equation of how people think about that, and that is basically this technological revolution that's going to a whole other level in globalization. So, with, with globalization, it used to be like if if I needed to call Visa's call center, uh, credit card company's call center, it was an American that answered the phone, and then it was someone in Asia, and now then it was somebody in India, and pretty soon it's going to be somebody in Africa, and this ability to go to the lowest cost of capital, where it might be more than those people and those those economies are making, but it's certainly less than Visa would have to pay an American, right? So Visa might have to have more inflation in America. They'd have to pay their people more in America. Their cost of doing business might be more, but globalization is tempering the real impact of inflation because their cost of personnel overseas is lower. Same thing with technology. Like you're seeing in the news now, I saw an article about, well, McDonald's is going to be, have to pay more for their employees, and oh my God, and inflation, inflation, inflation. And it's great they have to play more for their to their employees, you know, they have something reasonable, right, as as an income. And AMC Theaters has to pay a higher income. But last week I went to the movies for the first time in two years, and for the first time when I watched in AMC Theaters, which happens to be headquartered in my backyard, there were no people there to greet me and to sell me tickets. There were computers there, and I got my own tickets. So yes when I went in, the person that gave me my, my popcorn and, and, and helped me with everything else is probably making $16 instead of 11 But there's two-thirds less people, right? And that's because of technology. And so the Federal Reserve and Congress and the president, whether it's Trump or Biden, have gotten away with what would normally be disastrous from an inflationary perspective because they're getting covered by technology and globalization. And I think Watching all these pieces together uh, mix up, you could see why, if you look at a history book, why people feel so passionate, it might not play out that way. Because, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s, we didn't have this. We're, We're living in a different world. And so I think that we're seeing higher inflation than normal and all the statistics put out by the government are laughable. I mean, like anybody can go anywhere. You can go to Chipotle, go to the grocery store, you can get a plane ticket, you build a house. You know, inflation is higher than what the government's holding out there now. But the but the question is, how much of this is transitory, and then we just get back to, you know, the Fed tapering and globalization, all those things that have been deflationary pressures that will come back into play and bring this all back under control.
0: P- Professor, yeah, Kathy Wood also was saying she sees this technology area as being very deflationary. You have this right. this 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 group of of. Uh, that that element. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, and then Peter, it's great to be with you again. Um, um, I, was, I wish we could be face to face in our studio, um, and I'm sure it will be in the future. So thank you for um, much for being on. Uh, yeah, I don't
2: want I don't want back in your studio. I want I want to be back in your house where we did that. Where we did your <laughs> beach <laughs> house, the
1: last one. That was a good yeah, view for a let's,
2: podcast.
1: Let's 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 look forward to that. Maybe. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, a glass of wine. Um, uh, so let me, let me comment on that. Um, uh, globalization has been going on for a long time. Um, uh, is, 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 is the pandemic, uh, will it accelerate maybe somewhat? Um, Will the high wages of uh, especially unskilled workers, uh, which are jumping the most, by the way, um, uh, lead to uh, a higher technology? Well, Peter, just like you mentioned about the theaters, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I've been saying for over a year that I think technology uh, is going to jump. Now, the question is, is it going to jump enough uh, to offset all the monetary stimulus? In my opinion, no. Um, uh, As I've been saying for now uh, six months or longer, uh, that the total inflation that I believe we've gotten because of the monetary bulge of unprecedented proportion uh, M2 money supply, as I've mentioned, rising in the year 2020 uh, by more than uh, any, uh, faster than any other year in the last uh, 150 years, that we're going to have uh, 20 to 25% higher prices at the end. Now, I'm not talking about one year. I'm talking about three or four years. Um, I, I, It could be 777, 5555. I mean, I, I, I'm I, it, 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 but I, I see an inflationary hump that will end up with prices that are, you know, 25 percent higher than we would have otherwise. Um, nothing like the double digit inflation uh, that we had in the uh, 1970s. Um, um, and uh, uh, but certainly much higher inflation than we've experienced in the last 20 years and much higher inflation than the fed is purportedly targeting. Um, uh, now I do not believe that technology can offset a 20 to 25% increase. I mean, if, you know, technology, uh, um, uh, productivity, um, has been rising, you know, by, uh, you know, what, one, one and a half percent per year. Um, uh, Maybe it would go two to three percent. Uh, You know, maybe we would uh, uh, see a a two or three percentage points increase, which would be quite a lot from a historical standpoint over a year or two. But that's not enough, in my opinion, to offset a 25 percent increase. Uh, now, 25%. Now take a look at what's happening. Housing, you see, asset prices are, and housing prices and real prices are already up there. Uh, housing is 20% higher. Uh, in some areas, much higher than that. Rentals are 9% to 10 to 12% higher. They're getting up to 20% higher. Housing is 35% of the CPI, which hasn't even gotten into the inflation data yet. And there's no way that productivity gets, gets into that data. Building a house is not cheaper. It is more expensive with the, with the shortages that we see. Um, so, uh, you know, again, yeah, I, I, productivity is always going to be there. It's gotten a little bump uh, from this uh, pandemic, and that's good. But in my opinion, we'll not be able to uh, offset um, uh, the inflation. Um, so oh, we're going like, to have the. I, it's I already actually, there, yeah. really. I mean, certainly in the housing sector, anyone new coming up is, is, has seen it. Um, and and uh, you know, I mean, cars, the shortages that we see, the chip shortages, a lot of things that you can't order. You can order, but it's delayed delivery and no promised prices. These are all the inflations that are, are really there. So in some sense, I think it's going to hit people in the Christmas season. Because, uh, you know, as Peter, as you mentioned, I mean, uh, the, the shipping costs are a 1,000% higher now. Uh, now, part of that will be alleviated. And that's not a long-term 1,000% higher. But all the, uh, you know, people tell me, oh, lumber's back down or this metal's back down. And, yeah, because it surged, you know, 500%. Now it's down 400%. still 25 50% higher than pre-pandemic. Um, uh, it doesn't mean that. Oh, that means that inflation is temporary. It just means yep. that in the sensitive commodities you see in the mar- in those commodities where there's a ready market, you saw the inflationary monetary push instantly. And it it, it as as usual it it overshot, and, and in many cases we de- do see that comeback. Now, I, you know, look at oil. Yeah, oil's down today, but, you know, um, WTI, 7150, and I, t- I talked about natural gas. Natural gas at 530 now. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm um, the treasurer of our condominium complex, which is quite large. We, we have, um, uh, you know, over 1,200 people that are living in it, Um Uh, We locked in, fortunately, some of our gas prices, but uh, not all of them. And, uh, you know, this is a major source of expense. It's going to hit us. Um, I don't think homeowners realize, because everyone switched, you know, from oil to gas in the last 10 years. Um, I don't know if they realize that if they haven't locked in their contract, which many don't. So, I mean, this is, one could go on and on and on. But uh, technology, uh, where, where's the technology in natural gas at 550? Um, yes, Hurricane Ida uh, and some of the slowdowns are all there. But they're paying 10, 12 dollars, 15 dollars, and more in Japan and um, in Europe for natural gas. Uh, the energy complex. I mean, as I say, yes. The CRB index, by the way, is hit a new post-pandemic high. Um, yesterday, it's down today. Today, we, we do have a um, uh, kind of a sell-off in, in some of those combines and a strong dollar, um, you know, maybe associated with the yields being 137 today, uh, which is, by the way, the highest we've seen the yields in, in several months. Uh, why is that when CPI was reported lower? Um, uh, we can talk about what the, you know, is it, is it defensive edging before the Fed uh etc and so on uh i don't know we're going to, we're going to see inflation but as i've, I've said you know we, we haven't talked about well if we are where should you be investment wise
2: <laughs> so much to unpack there i think we actually agree so i think i think we agree part of this is transitory and i think we agree that you know globalization and technology help i do think technology helps a little bit more maybe than than you do i think we yes we've had technological advances they tend to make People more efficient or need less less people to do the job and now it's just eliminating people I mean it went to McDonald's and there's, there's nobody there taking your orders anymore You're like like half of the workforce uh, is going to be gone even though they've got to pay more but I completely agree like what I'm saying that the, 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 the government's getting away with it they're getting away with this is why we don't have inflation that's going to be permanent in the teens but 100% as I said at the beginning what they're holding out today is inflation I don't believe is accurate it's higher than normal that's going to persist this 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 totally under control deflationary or 2% inflation that's gone for a period of years and all and some of this stuff that, that maybe it appeared transitory is going to stick you know Chipotle is not going to lower the price of the burrito bowl they just raised the price on a few weeks ago so I I agree when we look forward 4 or 5 years from now we will look back and have had inflation be double or maybe a little more than it normally was, and it's because of that that we have, um, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, in March 2020, we reduced bonds for almost every single client, right? It's really, unless there was a compelling reason, um, you you saw what the Fed was going to do, Uh, you knew you could pretty much figure out how this was going to play out. Bond yields, 80% of bonds pay less than 2%. Uh, you can't get anything over there. It's not really going to help you a lot uh, in a bear market. Dividends are about where most most bonds are with inflation that tends to get priced in the stocks. And so like we told our clients uh, at our annual event this this past weekend, stocks for the long run. And if you want the protection, you're going to have to be an owner, whether it's publicly traded real estate, private real estate, publicly traded stocks, private equity. Um, we're, we've really tilted our clients more in that direction. So do you keep the chapters
1: long run. <laughs> um, uh, as as you i don't know if you know, but I'm in the process uh, of writing the sixth edition which is the most extensive uh actually um revision uh since the, the book first came out, which was uh, in may of nineteen ninety four believe it or not coming I mean, almost well 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 over you know almost mm, more than 30 years. But, um, uh, yeah, and I agree with you completely. You've got to be in real assets. Um, yeah, uh, We could talk about which, but stocks are those real assets. Now, the big puzzle, and I want your take on this, Peter, is also, well, um, I think we're all surprised that the long bond is only 135 now. Um,
2: uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I, you know, it's puzzling and that's the biggest, you know, that's the most compelling argument for me that there is a lot of smart people that don't believe that, that we're going to have uh, real inflation and that really this is transitory and that, you know, the cure for high prices will be high prices and everything will get worked out and then we'll go back to, you know, more advances with technology. And to me, that's the most compelling argument for the other side uh, of, of what we're talking about today. I'm curious yeah. to get your thoughts. Yeah, well my
1: I I've been saying for a long time even pre-covid that I I believe that the long bond has become just a um, hedge now, a uh, short-term hedge in people's portfolios uh, against stock market volatility. Um basically um, we know that if some bad thing happens and the Dow's down 2000 points, the treasury going to be up 4 points that day. I don't, you know, and and people, will, you know, it's like a, it's short term volatility insurance. And they're, I think they're paying through the nose for it. But I think the demand for that is absolutely huge. So as a result, I believe that the difference between the tips and the uh, nominal bond, which has remained remarkably stable um, at just over, you know, 2 percent, I mean, I can bring it up in, we can look at it now um two and a half percent it had moved up dramatically but stopped and is 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 a biased look at it because people are buying the nominal bond for that hedge um people love short term hedges more than anything else i i, I think it's Uh, Maybe it's the aging of the population and everything like that. People are so upset about short-term volatility in the market. It always confuses me. These people are supposed to be holders for 5, 10, 15 years. And if, two, you know, three weeks the market's down 10%, they get panicked. Um, And then it bounces back. Um, But, yes, you can buy me insurance for that. I mean, obviously you can buy puts, but actually treasury bonds are – that's probably better than puts. Puts are terrible. I mean, in the long run, it just drags your portfolio returns down. Now, this at least gives you a, a little bit of a positive return. You know, at uh, uh, one three, so you're holding and getting some positive. You're getting a negative real return. But you're getting some positive return. So it's like an insurance policy. So I think that it's a biased look at the different. Uh, you're not getting an, uh, an unblemished look at that. The inflation premium. And I think that uh, the uh, the demand for that hedge asset is just so much greater than uh, uh, a lot of people think. It's not necessarily they don't think inflation; they just say, um, yeah, I'm just holding it as a hedge against short-term volatility.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. I think a lot of individuals, I mean, including our our clients, we have them in bonds to cover. You know whatever something happens, cyber attack and another pandemic and the terrorist yeah. event. I mean you have to have a place to go to meet the monthly needs. It's great that we think stocks will do better than bonds over ten years, but the reality is a human being needs money you know every month for the next five, no matter what happens. So you have to go somewhere with that, and I also think there's a huge amount of institutional money that is just going to automatically reallocate the bonds, no matter what in the world's happening because their investment policy mandate dictates that. There's a lot of regulatory pressure that pushes a lot of people in that direction and there's a lot of target dated portfolios that push people in that direction regardless of what's happening. So there's this level of demand that will persist even if it's at zero. You know, there's just a level of demand that will always persist and, for and that we'll, market. we'll see it's, about the Fed. We'll see about, you know,
1: if the Fed tapers. Don't forget that I think the Fed has been taking about half of the new uh, net new mm-hmm. supply of treasuries off the market in their uh, uh, quantitative easing that they've been pursuing since the pandemic began. So if they're going to stop, it's going to be interesting to see whether, you know, is the market going to absorb that extra $80 billion uh, plus 40 of mortgage backs, which adds to the high-quality fixed income stuff. Uh, Is is, is that going to apply pressure or not? Now, that should be factored in because it is expected that that will be there, but... You know, sometimes people don't factor it in until it happens, and we have to see the depth of the market. If, if if they stop buying these treasuries and there aren't enough hedges that come in that want to buy it from these sources, such as you say from the pension funds or others, uh, you might see uh, then you will finally see that upward pressure on those bond yields.
0: Peter, when you mentioned last March going from reducing, you know, some of those bonds, you know, Professor Siegel uh, has been talking about with, with us at Wisdom Tree, the new sixty forty is what he calls a seventy five twenty five, and and we've actually used some gold and commodities for some of these inflationary pressures. Would you how far when you I, did you did you all do something for a sixty forty type allocation? What what is what are you doing instead of those bonds, and and how do you think about these in, inflation risks there?
2: Actually, way before that, on our last podcast, which was several years ago, I explained that sixty forty was dead, and that we had moved our clients to a higher stock allocation, and that seventy five twenty five or seventy thirty was where it was at. And we had a discussion around that. I think that was maybe two or three years ago. So I've had, held this feeling for a very very long time, and I think a lot of other advisors, the market has started to work its way there. um but I, I definitely think that you cannot look at bonds as, hey, it's a safe place in the bear market and it's going to help me get where I'm going. You can look at it as it's pretty safe in a bear market and it's not really helping me get where I'm going. It's really now just Jeremy's point more about the about the short run. I am not a fan of gold and commodities in general. I do think that obviously uh, they uh, you know, they're a reflection of the inflation rate. But to me, that you know, keeping pace with inflation is not what I'm tr- we're trying to do, right? We're trying to be ahead of inflation and increase real purchasing power. And so, I'd rather own public and private real estate, public and private equities, and things that I think are going to price in inflation and then some, versus something that's taxed at a higher rate is more volatile. Will probably return me the rate of inflation. Um, it's just not as appealing uh, to me. Yeah, I mean, no, no. I- I, I hear
1: you. Uh, you know, one of the, the CCs of stocks the long run, a long run 200-year real return on gold is 0.8% per year, uh, 6.8% per year for stocks. And uh, even bonds are, uh, are much higher than gold. So um, even that inflation hedge and commodities are just about the same. They're slightly lower, actually. Um, it's not... Um, going to it 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 it's going to be a little bit of that hedge, on, and, and it'll respond early to the inflationary pressures. Long run, it'll it'll drag you down. Uh, long run treasuries are dragging you down. Going to be dragging you down more than ever, I think. Over, I think the cost of ins- this in short term insurance, a lot of people, a lot of advisors are going to be looking at that, saying it's just too high. Um, I rather own safe dividend paying stocks. As you mentioned, Peter, early on, which is also what we believe in Wisdom Tree. And also, by the way, we also went to the 75-25 way before COVID. Um, but our belief is since COVID, that has become even more, because bonds are looking worse and worse, um, it's become even more mandatory to up your uh, equity allocation. Uh, Peter,
0: you're just reminding us on, on our last show how you were early on the sixty forty, uh, going away from the sixty forty, being more in equities, uh, you know, very early on. Um, and and as you think about the challenges of that, uh, it's been a certainly last March would have been a challenge. Um, and and but now we're sort of back to all time highs. How are you thinking about navigating these higher equity allocations uh, uh, with client concerns or or any fears of volatility?
2: Well, I think it's interesting because you start to you start to move from bonds to stocks. You know, Jeremy and I agree that if you look forward ten years from now, the the probability that's going to have been a a, a, everyone comes out ahead is very, very, very high. But the other probability you increase is the probability that that a client is going to feel a lot more pain in the typical correction or bear market. And a lot of us have forgotten about that. One of the blessings of being an American is you. You're equipped with a very short memory. That's part of our coping mechanism of how we just get through everything, right? And I, I think if you um, look at this year, for example, there hasn't been a five percent market pullback uh, the whole year. Now, that's happened before, but it's very, very rare, and it is completely abnormal. It it's a completely abnormal, right? Just it, it happens very rarely, and in a normal year the market, you have a correction somewhere in the year. The correction by definition is 10% drop or more, but the average correction is a 14% drop. If you think about where the market is today, we're talking 5,000 points. I mean, everyone is going to freak out when that happens because it's been so long, right? It's been since March of 2020 that we've experienced that. But the typical 40-year-old is going to have that happen 50 more times in their life. And of course, we all know Bear markets happen on average, average every five years. They don't spread themselves out nicely. Sometimes they're like 9-11 in the tech bubble. They're just back-to-back. Back. Sometimes there's more than a decade between them, like 0809 and, and and the pandemic. But when we get those, you know, the average bear market's 20% drop or more. The average one's a 34% drop. But lately, they've been much more severe. So if you look at our last bear markets, you know, 9-11, the tech bubble, 0809, these were 44 to 53% drops. The pandemic was exactly average at 34%, but it was the fastest 34% drop in history, and everyone was worried they were going to die all at the same time, right? So these last four have all been outlier bear markets, and I think it's the new norm because of the dissemination of information, right? There's information moves so quickly, things get priced repriced in so quickly that the swings when we get new news are much more violent, And so I think when we increase these equity allocations, we expect better returns over the very long run. We still need a place to go to for clients that have short-term needs. But there's a price for this. And the price is going to be the psychological uh, stress of watching your portfolio participate more in that next correction or bear market. And So a lot of what we're doing is, look, I mean, our clients are very smart. It's a high net worth group of people. They're they're um, they're successful for a reason. They they understand it. But when you're living through it, it's a different it's a different deal. And so we're we're really trying to educate. And, and when we make change, these allocations of hey, like the good news is probably going to do better uh, because of everything happening with interest rates, and everything else. But there is bad news. We just haven't felt it yet. And the bad news is we're going to feel it now. Our clients felt it in the pandemic. Um, because we've been tilted for several years now uh, more heavily to stocks. I think we were way ahead of the market, uh, marketplace on that. Um, but the, the move was so violent and so fast, kind of no one really, the extra couple points on the downside was not noticed the way it would be in a typical bear market because of all of the other issues happening at the same time. And I think that's going to be the next challenge for people that are tilting more heavily towards equities.
0: They didn't get a chance to see it on their statements that it, it sort of moved so quickly and then it came back so quickly. Professor, is that what is that what you think is how's how's that going to evolve over time? Is that going to be the new normal for the these corrections?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I, a lot of what Peter says is certainly true. One should also remember that um, we had. Uh, uh, what nearly nearly 10 years um well you know between let's say was it 2007 8 bear market and the pandemic we had more than than that um uh without a bear market um which is really a long time so yeah yeah the last few been Some severe, but we also have been spacing them out more, Um, which is also interesting, which can give people false senses of security. Um, uh, You know, we had the longest economic expansion in our history before the pandemic, which was, uh, in a way, a a kind of an artificial end to both the bull market and the economic expansion, in the sense that, you know, uh, many. Like the Great Financial Crisis was was because of internal dynamics of an economy, which are the tra- traditional uh, business cycles. But uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, e- even when we had the Spanish Flu, we you know even that did not cause a bear market. We reacted very differently than we than back then in in 1918 than than we did in 2020. Um, so that, so you know, we, in terms of an externally, uh, uh, you know, as um, one could say about 9/11, also, but sort of uh, uh, an attack that was very short. I mean, I'm, really, I kind of get that whole recession from 2000. It was a recession, tech bubble bursting and 9/11. You know, almost like is one. So. You know, we had that, and then we had the great financial crisis seven or eight years later, and then we had 12 years till, the, till this. Those are very spaced out. Yeah, they were severe, but spaced out. And um, you got to worry about people you know, getting the sense that, uh, yeah, the market's never going, going down again. Um, uh, uh, and, 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 and that could lead to a big overvaluation. Uh, we Peter and I haven't talked about valuations today. I'm, uh, what, what do you, Peter? What's your what's your view on the average valuation of uh, of the market and um, and, and
2: uh, you know what that means? Well, I think if you if you looked at the U.S. market in a vacuum, if you're just looking at a, a newspaper, you you know from 20 years ago, you you had the the time machine. You could look forward. You'd think the market was overvalued if you were just losing looking at metrics. But when you look at it Compared to where bonds are and where the inflation rate is, and all the money that the Fed's pumped into the economy, um, I think, and expected earnings, uh, I think they're reasonable, and the, they're on the high end of reasonable in the United States. I think there's a lot of value overseas in emerging markets and and in Europe. But uh, I saw the same thing on your show a couple of years ago. Yeah, and you know, yeah, and here and we are. Yeah, right? uh,
1: so, I've said that too, and yeah, you know, definitely underperformed. Um, yeah. on uh, the current market, uh, I, I think we're we're selling on the S and P about twenty, twenty one times uh forward twelve month earnings, which I think are going to exceed what you see on those estimates um, on the website. Um, oftentimes you fall short, but we have been burst you know, we've been breaking re- records uh way above Anything that has ever ever been seen before, I think, in terms of beating estimates, uh, I still think third and fourth uh, quarter estimates are too low, um, and we're going to beat them. I think forward, I think forward earnings are probably 220 um, uh, on the S and P. Uh, you know, which uh, you know with the S and P at 4400 right now, for 446, it's you're talking, you know, about 21. 21 uh, in, in a low interest rate environment, a super low interest rate environment, and even one where what the Fed might start raising, we're, we're still talking about bonds and negative real return ter- territory is still uh, is certainly not an unreasonable level. So, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about. It. I'm not I'm not saying every stock, uh, you know, uh, the Robinhood stocks and, and all those still. You know, I, to me, I'm, I'm not gonna the meme stocks. I'm not going after, but uh, they're a very small fringe part of the market. When you when you you know look broadly here, um, you know it's not. Um, again, technology has has gotten quite a premium. Uh, you know, uh, estimate PE on tech. I I guess on the tech sector of the S and P is now about 25. I was just looking this up yesterday. Ten years ago, it was 12.
2: Um, and guess
1: wow. uh, the market has gone up, but the tech sector has gone up a lot more. It was the same as the market back then, and and now it's uh, you know much much higher than uh, than the market uh, actually is. So um, it's uh, you know the great performance of tech is, is built in a, a premium, which is going to be pretty hard, I think, uh, to sustain, especially if we have uh, a um, uh, you know, the reopening of the economy, as I expect to happen within the next, uh, you know, in the next six months.
0: Yeah, We're, we're talking with Peter look the CEO of Creative Planning. We have Professor Siegel. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. Peter, is, is anything from this pandemic change how you've managed portfolios? Is it just sticking with that those factor tilts, and as you think about, it, are there anything with within factors or how you've constructed portfolios that has changed, uh, or is it more just more of the same from from what what you all are doing?
2: I mean, I think from our perspective, I mean, the the pandemic just validated what we were doing. I mean, we were tilted heavily towards equities. We were able to take advantage from a tax perspective of the down market. We were able to even further buy into the down market. We didn't rebalance back because uh, it didn't make sense to, from a tax perspective, and to rotate back to bonds. We readjusted allocations again. And we've also, you know, for our higher net worth clients, used alternative investments that have fared, you know, obviously on fire in in recent years. And so I think you've you've put all those things together, and I think we plan on doing uh, more of the same. I think when we look at spaces, I think it's a lot harder to just say, all real estate is good. I think you, you can't say that, right? Retail office is very different than cell towers, industrial, and storage. And I think I think when you're looking at different markets, you have to look at it that way now and just acknowledge that we're living in a different world, just like you can't look at the bond market and say bonds. You know, when Jeremy was talking earlier about bonds, he was distinguishing between them, right? Because uh, it's just a, when you're looking at the backdrop of the economy, um, you've, you've got to be focused within those asset classes on what you're going to own. And I think we pay a little bit more attention to that because of that.
1: Yeah, I would I I, I would, I definitely, you know, tend to agree with you there. And, um, uh, you know, you, you take a look at the REITs. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, my God, look at the REIT index, an all-time high doing so well. How is that possible? Well, if you take a look at the REIT index. The office REITs are not – I have come back, but they're still below pre-demand. Everything else is much higher, and the office REITs are in the REIT space or the REIT index. Are actually very under underrepresented um, relative to their importance in the real estate world. Um, so there's a lot more privately held commercial real estate um, than is actually in a REIT form. So you've got to be, you know, very, very uh, con- uh, conscious of that. Um, uh, I looked into the REIT index a lot because I was a little puzzled on why it was doing so well, given that office buildings weren't so on. Uh, and then I discovered, oh yeah, it doesn't really have that high a weight um, relative to, uh, like you said, storage, cell towers, and and, uh, and 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 a lot of other things which are doing extraordinarily well. And uh, of course, are real assets. Uh, so it's something that you want in an inflationary. Uh, world going forward, so you have to make those uh, uh, those distinctions.
0: You, you mentioned taxes and and sort of taking advantage of some of the losses or or doing things for tax planning. Taxes is that one of when you think about the top issues that on your clients' minds going forward? So we we hit inflation pretty pretty in depth on the first half of the, the the show. Is is taxes one of the big questions for what's happening under the new regime, or or other questions more more dominating the uh, the concerns?
2: I think uh, I think taxes are probably number two out of inflation of what people are thinking about. Probably rotated to number one, uh, given what's going through Congress right now. And I think if you look at all of the tax changes that are happening, I think what's bothering people is there's just no indication of how much time there's going to be to to make any any plans. You know, and so it's, it's one thing to change taxes, which doesn't matter if you're right or left. And both parties want to change taxes all the time, but it is kind of frustrating when Congress says, by the way, the rules that you didn't know about are effective this morning. You know? and So I think that's creating anxiety for people. I think it's unfortunate um, that that's the way the Republicans and Democrats are, but it is what it is. And I think when you look at the proposals coming, coming through Congress, you've got impacts on income taxes, capital gains taxes, estate taxes, and surtaxes some of which they're talking about proposing retroactively you know, before the laws even passed or or in such a short time frame you can't even kind of get your head on straight. But there are a lot of implications for a lot of people. And if you look at capital gains, originally Biden's plan, they were talking about seeing the capital gains rate from 20 to 39.6 for those that made over a million and then having higher rates for anyone in between. The proposal that's come through Congress looks like it's an increase of 5%, so much, much lower increase. Uh, than anyone, I think, expected. It'll be interesting to see how that rolls through the Senate. The income tax hike is as advertised, which is just raising the top bracket a little bit, a couple points. I don't think that's a game changer, but there is a surcharge for very, very high net worth uh, earners. And then, uh, which for people in several states like California, and New York, that do really, really well, they're, they're going to be paying way, way over 50% in all-in taxes between state, Fed, and the surtax. And then the estate tax um, it's pretty radical change. You're talking about dropping from an exemption amount where someone on death can give away 11.7 million to, to being able to give away five. And um, and that kicking into effect um, either retroactively uh, or within a few months. Um, so there are a lot of people that are going to be doing a lot of planning very quickly as we start to wa- watch this uh, meander its way, its way through. I think it's unfortunate, you know, that I, I, I think that you know when I'm I'm sitting with real I'm not running a a a hedge fund right I'm sitting with real people every day and they work really hard and they they do their best and many of them employ a lot of people and some of them go to work every day and save money every day and to have Congress change what they can put in an IRA or a 401k or whether they can convert their IRA or whether their life insurance policy is going to go to their kids tax-free or not and do it without notice is is just it's it's insulting to the American people and so I get I get that both whether there are tax increases or tax breaks I I understand that there are reasons for those things um and this wasn't your question but my frustration is is the way that it's handled and it's it's just it, you know congress serves the americans and whatever they're going to do they should be they should be talking about when they're going to do it in a way that allows people to say okay I understand what's going to happen and and therefore I'm going to adjust my behavior um, so that I can – I pay everything I'm supposed to pay, but I haven't been – I'm not doing things today that are going to penalize me tomorrow, right? So uh, I think there's a lot of implications for what's passing through. It'll be fascinating to see what comes through the Senate uh, and then what ultimately gets passed to the law. But I think this is going to happen very, very quickly from here.
1: Yeah, let me me say that uh, uh, as people who have been listening to our Behind the Markets – Uh, for quite a while know that uh, as soon as uh, the uh, Republicans lost the Senate in the Georgia special elections, uh, when was that? Was that January 5th? Um, I was on and said, your taxes are going to be up. And uh, if you want to do something, do it now. (laughs) Because I was uh, absolutely certain it was going to happen. Uh, all the time. I never wavered. Um, uh, and in fact, I'm pretty much called what is going to happen. Well, what was going to happen is they're going to take away a lot of the Trump cuts, but they were going to move the corporate to 25. I know Biden called it, you know, he wanted it all the way up above 30. And I said, that's not happening. 25. I know the panel came out with 26 and a half, but that's the bargain down to 25 pretty much what I say and uh, taking away the basically the Trump cat tax and and by the way Peter cutting the the exemption I absolutely on the uh, to 5 million uh, on that but the, the good news uh, for people in the Northeast is that there will be some uh, um, restoration of the state and local tax deduction um, uh that will come in on the Senate uh, or maybe even on the floor of the house doesn't matter it will get in um so that will uh for for those states uh ease uh the burden of, of of some of the higher taxes as far as being retroactive yeah you had to do it beforehand um but you know what why you know why do it i mean you know did you know, what are you going to do take your capital gains um you know I mean, we love to just buy and hold and make uh, you know small changes on the margin that don't really cause capital gains much. So that shouldn't be something that you know. For if you're an individual speculator and have a big gain on a stock you're thinking of selling, yeah, you should, have, should have, you could have protected yourself. Um, but nothing surprised me. In fact, it's it, it's going in Congress exactly as script. Uh, um, exactly as I thought. Uh, I think the infrastructure bill is going to pass separately beforehand, and then the tax bill is going to pass with reconciliation. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the the uh, capital gains tax increase uh, is, is has already been fixed. you know, might be even re- retroactive earlier um, than when they fixed it. But um, I don't think anyone right now. Um, We're going to have to wrap it up here, Professor. Creative.
0: Thank you, Peter of Creative Planning, friend of and client of Wisdom Tree. Uh, thank Peter, Professor Siegel, for joining us for the full um, hour. Patty Hall, our producer, our sound engineer Dion Simpkins. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about Wisdom Tree, visit WisdomTree.com.